Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. To a special place called America. It was a small cluster of colonies caught between a great ocean and a vast wilderness. It was home to an incredible people with a revolutionary idea that they could rule themselves, that they could chart their own destiny, and that together they could light up the entire world. Hello, friends. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Good to be with you again on Praying for America. Thank you for joining me tonight on Right Side Broadcasting Network, on endabortion.tv, on Getter, and on so many other platforms. A lot to say to you tonight about uh, MAGA and uh, Brandon, and uh, really, I also want to look at the uh, midterm elections from the point of view of governor's races. Very interesting dynamic that the Democrats are facing. So let's go into all that and uh, let's also look at scripture. I want to uh, go to 2 Kings 24 here. There's a passage, short, but very instructive and instructive for America today. Uh, it talks about the what happened with Babylon, with Nebuchadnezzar, coming against the kingdom of Judah. Remember, in the 6th century BC, there was the Babylonian exile because the uh, the Babylonians came in, destroyed uh, the, the holy city and the temple, took the people out to exile. I mean, this was like, you know, for believers, uh, like the end of the world happening. And why did it happen? Was it some political miscalculation, some military weakness? No, Scripture tells us it was a spiritual problem. People were violating the covenant, and they were violating the covenant very often at the encouragement of the king. There were good kings and bad kings. And let me just read a couple of verses here from 2 Kings 24, starting with verse 3. Okay, so talking about this exile, this invasion, it says, This befell Judah because the Lord had stated that he would inexorably put them out of his sight for the sins Manasseh had committed in all that he did, and especially because of the innocent blood he shed with which he filled Jerusalem, the Lord would not forgive. So this was one of the evil kings. And what what the reference to the shedding of innocent blood is that the evil kings in violation of God's covenant would have the people worshiping the Baals, worshiping these false idols, and part of that worship involved the killing of children, the slaughter of their sons and daughters to Baal. Well, brothers and sisters, that's what's happening today with abortion. It's the slaughtering of children, the same kind of sin. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to protect America Protect us from violating the covenant. Because, Lord God, we see in the Old Testament the kings who led the people into sin, who built altars and built sacred pillars dedicated to to demons, 
dedicated to false gods and goddesses. And Lord God, we uh, in America, we get to elect our leaders. But if we elect those, Lord God, who do not uphold the sanctity of life, who do not acknowledge your authority over human affairs, who do not permit the freedom of religion, and who would try to redefine marriage in the family, well, Lord, we might as well be electing people who set up these, these, these demonic temples for the sacrifice of children and for the violation of your covenant. Lord God, we know the, the, the ground on which we stand, the covenant in the blood of Christ and the principles of the United States of America. And we ask you to preserve us on that path. We ask you to renew us in our covenant with you. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. And of course, a lot is going on with the, the matter of abortion. That's my full-time work. And uh, friends, I'm confident that the justices of the Supreme Court are going to do the right thing as they finalize their decision in this Dobbs case, a draft of which was leaked. I think they're going to hold the course. I think they're going to get rid of Roe and Casey. I think they're going to open the door, as this decision does, to a new chapter in the pro-life movement where we can actually bring about the protection of children, for which which so many Americans want, uh, in their earliest stages of development, these children in the womb. So we'll be keeping you updated on all of that uh, in all of our broadcasts uh, here at endabortion.tv. I want to talk about uh, this uh, comment of uh, the Brandon administration about the ultra MAGA. Biden seems to be, you know, a little bit obsessed these days with uh, throwing around the the MAGA uh, term and criticizing those of us who are part of this movement. He said, you know, just uh, not that long ago, and we talked about it the other night how this uh, MAGA movement is the most extreme. He said it's the most extreme political organization in American history. It's actually the greatest political movement of American history, uh, led by by President Trump. But, uh, you know, the people who think the way these these radical left Democrats think, uh, they see it as extreme. Well, yeah, because of the principles of life, justice, security, freedom, love of family, love of faith, a love of protecting the vulnerable unborn. These other folks uh, uh, in the Brandon administration and in their party are so far afield from these fundamental values that when they look at what the MAGA movement is saying and doing, yeah, it seems like it's way, 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 way out there. Well, it is in their view, way, way, way out there because they have put themselves way, way, way out in the other direction. It's not hard to understand why they're so deluded. But the problem is that they have moved into extreme waters. They have moved into waters that have nothing to do with what America was founded to be or where most of the American people are today. So Brandon keeps saying, oh, the ultra MAGA movement. And then he called President Trump the MAGA king. And President Trump, of course, took up that that as a badge of honor and, uh, uh, you know, uh, put out his um, his truth on social tr- truth, social. I hope you have an account on truth, social. I do at FR Frank Pavone, which is the address I have on the other social media platforms as well. Uh and and it's and it's 
it is a, 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 a title of honor to belong to a movement that says make America great again, because that means hold on to those principles of virtue, of freedom, of faith, of limited government, of security for our communities, our families, and our borders. Hold on to those principles and be rooted in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. My goodness, why would we not want that and why would we not be proud of that? Now, speaking of uh, Brandon, Congressman Ronnie Jackson represents the 13th uh, District of Texas. And you may recognize his name as the former White House physician. Okay, he served under several administrations, including uh, uh, President Trump. Uh, he started uh, actually under uh, Obama in uh, 2013. I want to read to you what he has to say. And he repeated this again recently. And, and you, if you follow these matters, have heard this before. But I think it's worth repeating. Congressman Ronnie Jackson, Dr. Ronnie Jackson says, any average American citizen can look at this man, he's talking about Biden, look at his behavior, look at just the way he carries himself, the way he gets lost, confused, he shuffles around, he looks old, he strikes out, he can't control his temper anymore. This is all evidence of cognitive decline. It's happening right in front of our eyes. I've been saying that since he was candidate Biden, that this man is not fit to be our commander in chief and our head of state. Then he goes on to say, even Democrats are starting to say it. And they're going to have to figure out what to do with him. He will not make it for years. Let me repeat that. He will not make it for years. He won't make it till the end of this term. This is just going to get worse. It's going to get rapidly worse. And it's dangerous, dangerous for our country. I think we should pause right there and pray once again. Lord God, we place this country in your hands, this White House and all who work there and reside there into your hands. Keep us preserved, O God, from danger. Let those who see and know even better than we do what is going on have the wisdom and the courage to make the necessary changes to protect this country, to protect the institution of the presidency, Lord, to protect all of us and to prevent bad things from happening as a result of these obvious things that the congressman points out are going on in the life of the president. Help us, Lord God. Help all those responsible to do the right thing, the courageous thing, when it comes into uh, this circumstance and to stop walking the path of denial and of obstruction. Help us, Lord God, as a nation. Help us, Lord God, as citizens. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, let me go into some things about the um, uh, election, the midterm elections. Okay, now this is from an article that Daniel Berman wrote recently. Uh, you could see it at Real Clear Politics. 
I, I want to recommend realclearpolitics.com as a good source uh, for you for uh, tracking the dynamics of the elections. It's always, always a collection of articles from across the political spectrum, uh, but many of them very, very helpful and insightful, as is this one. First of all, he talks about how the Democrats are really headed for a bad, bad election season. Uh, okay. And they are more and more recognizing it. In fact, it, it's trending so bad for them that we could end up in 2025, not just with a Republican president, I think very likely the man in the picture behind me here, uh, and a Republican House and Senate, but even have by that time super majorities super majority, so that, in other words, the minority party in the Senate uh, in particular uh, cannot block legislation. And, and this is not this is not to, supposed to come about by some kind of trick, by the way. There's a purpose to the filibuster. There's a purpose to the setup in the Senate whereby you actually need 60 votes in order to get something through that is opposed by the other party. If it's opposed by the other party and they put up a filibuster, it takes 60 votes to break that. And it's very rare that any political party has 60 seats in the U.S. Senate. That's rare. It has happened, but it's rare. And what it reflects when it does happen, of course, is a big consensus among the American people. And if the senators are voting, having any thought in mind about the constituents back home that they are there to represent, that is what the mechanism is meant to do. It's meant to pass policies only if there is a strong consensus among the American people. Because if there's a strong opposition from the other party, well, then it's likely to represent a strong opposition in America. And we can't keep going back and forth every couple of years between policies that are enraging half the nation. So this is the wisdom of the filibuster. But elections can bring that about, can bring about that and reflect that consensus. And we could be looking at that as the as the 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 ultimate outcome of this trend that we're seeing now in American politics. Some on the Democrat side have been saying, hey, listen, we got to be uh, they're saying to the Democrats, moderate a little bit these social hot button issues. Look what they're trying to do with abortion. The filibuster stopped them just recently from passing this ridiculous bill that is uh, being nicknamed abortion for all. It takes away all kinds of uh, uh, limitations and obstacles on the uh, procedure. And, uh, you know, this whole message is starting to resonate, uh, Daniel goes on to say in this article, with some on the other side. Uh, Julie Rojinsky, Democrat strategist, said to Politico, quote, my fear continues to be that sometimes we as de Democrats run on things that we wish the voters cared about rather than what the voters do care about. She uh, said that the party was making that mistake, for example, again, on the abortion issue, thinking that somehow lashing out against the um, Supreme Court for reversing Roe v. Wade, as they seem like they're about to do, is somehow going to help the Democrats. It's not. It's not. And the American people and independents do not. In fact, even Democrats, you look at the polling, they don't want extreme abortion on demand with no restrictions. Another top Democrat pollster said, to hold the House or the Senate 
in these midterm elections, for the Democrats to hold the House or the Senate, you know what has to go away is inflation. And it does not seem likely that that is going to happen. So then, so I want to lead you through the thought process here in this article. What then does the Democrat Party do? Well, they got a plan for the worst. They got a plan for the worst. And what that means is triage. They've got a triage where they're going to put their attention with these races and triage away the unwinnable races. And meanwhile, focus as hard as it's still going to be for them on what is salvageable in all of this. So the House is pretty much gone. I mean, you take an honest strategic look at this from the Democrat side. The House is is, is going to be swept away from their control. Uh, Nancy Pelosi will be uh, out of a job. And um, so that leaves them with focusing on the Senate. Try to try to maybe with this uh, 50-50 uh, Senate split, try to hold on to that chamber. You know, again, it's a bad climate for them, but you have uh, really a distinctive set of dynamics in U.S. Senate races as opposed to the U.S. House, which is more subject to the political waves that are sweeping through the country. But then... We'll talk about those dynamics uh, at another time. The governor's races is what the rest of this article then focuses on. And this has to be on our radar. Of course, we talk about a lot, you know, taking back Congress, taking back Congress. We got to do that, obviously. But don't forget about the governors. Pay attention to the governors. Remember, first of all, the Democrats are lacking any clear, strong candidate for the 2024 presidential race. We've got one right here behind my shoulder who's the most the most fully uh, uh, widely supported in the Republican Party for that nomination. But the Democrats are, are, not, are not in that kind of a situation. They don't have some kind of front runner who's, oh yeah, we're going to rally, this one's going to rally the troops. And no, they're sorely lacking in this area. Now, where's one of the places where good, strong candidates can often come from for presidential races? The governorships. So if the Democrats get some good governors uh, uh, into the pipeline, that could, could provide for them an eventual strong presidential candidate. But they're in a challenging map for the governor's races as well. Let's look at some of this. Uh, also... Um, you know, what, what governors decide in their states, it really hits home for where the residents of those states are, how they're living their lives, you know, state law policies. Governors can do a lot, a lot of help, a lot of harm. And um, the voters, as well as the donors, two key groups of people that the party has to be paying attention to, what matters most to them is going to be affected by what the governors in those states are able to do. So let's look at uh, the, the, the election from the point of view of governors. Um, Wisconsin, Michigan, if they lose these races for uh, governors, this would be uh, a nightmare for them. Uh, we have uh, in Texas, of course, 
Yeah, here, here's a dynamic. Beto O'Rourke. Okay, so Beto has little chance of uh, uh, winning that uh, governor's race in uh, uh, Texas um, over uh, incumbent Governor Greg Abbott. But here's the dilemma for the Democrats. He's a high-profile candidate in whom the party is deeply invested. So the dilemma for them is, well, he's not likely to win this particular race, so how much do we pour into, with time and effort and resources, into a race that he's not likely to, to win? Okay, so from one, one vantage point, the strategic use of resources, you don't want to be, uh, uh, you know, like, for example, they're not going to be investing so much in uh, here in Florida, for example. You know, DeSantis is going to win re-election uh, as governor here. But if they abandon a race like, like Beto, well, then in the view of a lot of the voters and donors in the base of the Democrat Party, it's like, they're abandoning the issues that these high-profile Democrats are, are standing for and fighting for. And so that would provoke a reaction. That would pro provoke a revolt among the donors and the voters. This is the dilemma that they are facing in a number of these races. Um, now, when you have races where the candidate is, the Democrat candidate, is not likely to win, but is also not a hope high-profile icon in the party for certain key issues, and then it's easier for them to sort of quietly back away from those races. So um, in the past, in 2018, the Democrats, this article goes on to say, made serious plays uh, in Iowa, New Hampshire, Ohio, South Carolina, and South Dakota, uh, in addition to Florida, Texas, and Georgia. But these other states have dropped off the map in terms of their competitiveness in these midterm elections. One of the areas where they're trying to get a, um, a, a be on offense for governor's race, of course, is Arizona. I was recently with Carrie Lake at, a, at an event uh, here in Florida who is doing a great job as candidate for uh, for um, governor there in Arizona. Uh, and, uh, you know, in that particular race, uh, again, the Democrats have high stakes in terms of the, uh, the issues being debated back and forth and in terms of the fact that Carrie Lake is so closely identified uh, with uh, President Trump. But then again, it's not like it's a high probability uh, win for them. Uh, but again, the, the enthusiasm among their base is going to be affected by how they handle uh, their attention to that race. Let's look, for example, as this article then does, at um, uh, Kansas, Michigan, Wisconsin, three important states where Democrat governors are the underdogs for re-election. So Kansas, Michigan, Wisconsin. The pattern here is that those legislatures, both houses of the state legislatures in Kansas 
in Michigan and in Wisconsin are under Republican control and likely to remain that way, which means that the election of a Republican governor gives them a trifecta. Once you have control of both the governor's mansion, the House and the Senate, you can get your legislation through, right? So this is what is also worrying uh, the Democrat uh, party. And then, of course, in Pennsylvania, again, the Republicans control both houses of the legislature, uh, and there's a very important governor's race there. Um, what will happen there? That's where we have to work hard. And uh, but that could be, again, a very significant loss for the uh, for the Democrats. Now, even in some other places where you might not expect there to be trouble, uh, this article points out that polls are showing a generic Republican leading in Oregon by 18 percent. And even in Minnesota. The uh, the Democrat candidate is not uh, uh, necessarily uh, safe. The Republicans will likely win both houses of the legislature there. And again, so therefore the, the gubernatorial candidate losing would mean, again, total Republican control the first time in Minnesota that that has happened in 50 years, if even uh, if indeed it goes that way. The article goes to point out uh, even weaknesses up in um, up in the Northeast, strong Democrat territories, but nevertheless not necessarily safe for Democrats. In some, uh, the article says Democrats are probably relatively safe only in three states: California, Colorado, and Rhode Island. So, brothers and sisters, the takeaway from this is pay attention to. The governor's races. Uh, very important what governors can do. Obviously, they are the chief executive of their state. They're signing or vetoing legislation. And especially when it comes to, for example, again, the abortion issue, the states are going to be able to do far more in the next uh, cycle, in the next term of office, uh, if indeed the Supreme Court, as it seems it's going to do, gets rid of the obstacle of Roe v. Wade, because that's what it's been, an obstacle to the governors and to the state legislatures to actually uh, protect children in the womb and the right to life. So I'm grateful for, to uh, Daniel uh, Berman for this uh, very helpful article, I think, very important for us to focus and uh, focus our efforts, get to know the dynamics of the race if your state is having a governor's race. And we'll keep you posted too over at ProLifeVote.com. That's our uh, election website, ProLifeVote.com, where you can get involved and uh, get training and get information and get inspiration for making a difference in your local uh, community for the elections. Let's pray now again for our country. Lord, we ask you to look at the prayers of your people and send your Holy Spirit upon the dynamics of this election, especially as we have just been reviewing very briefly, Lord, the the governor's races across 
uh, this nation. We ask you to give blessing to the candidates and the campaigns, the voters in these states, help them to be alert and aware uh, and responsive to the opportunities that, uh, that are before us to make progress uh, for your word, for your kingdom, for the culture of life, to make progress, Lord. Uh, and, and, and we ask that these elections will truly reflect your spirit at work among your people. Help each of us to be as active as we can in registering voters, getting people educated, getting them to the polls, participating in these primary elections that are now uh, very significantly underway across our nation, and uh, may the participation of the voters in this primary season be uh, the prelude to fertile ground for their participation in the general election come November 8th. And Lord, we sum up all our prayers and praises by offering the prayer that you yourself taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, thanks, friends, for joining us. Follow me on social media at FR Frank Pavone and Right Side Broadcasting at RSB Network. Spread the word about this program, and we'll join you again tomorrow. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.